It's time for Honest Reflection in Youth Ministry. Whether you are 19 and are just getting started or have been serving in ministry for 19 years, we hope this weekly dose of honesty and humor helps. Welcome to After 9, the most honest conversation in youth ministry. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 96 of After 9 with professor, author, and youth pastor Andrew Zerchke. You may know him from his previous work, Beyond the Screen, and his upcoming book that he drops today that you can pre-order, oh yes, at after9.show slash 96. It's all about teaching and upping your game and the ways in which you can stay dynamic in teaching. It's super good. This interview's great. Heartfelt, powerful stories. But before we get too far, if you take a moment and hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, give us a review. It means so much to Chad and I. It it makes Chad super happy. So do that and now enjoy this with Andrew Zerski. Hey everybody, welcome back to another interview episode of After Nine with one of our professorial scholarly friends. Um, you can't call him Dr. Z because you're not late for your assignment. But today on the podcast, we have Andrew Azerski uh, sharing about his uh, book that he has written already and then the book that he's working on, but also talking about what youth ministry should look like for you and what it looked like for him and how he wants to get you into a degree for free. I know that sounds impossible, but ladies and gentlemen, welcome our good friend, Andrew Zersky. How you doing, Andrew? Hey, doing well, Zach. Thanks for having me on. It's great. Yeah, man, absolutely. We, uh, we're happy to get this connected, and it's always fun to have a, a midday Skype conversation about youth ministry. So. Absolutely. It's, a, it's after nine, right? It's after nine right now. Somewhere. It's after nine. That, that's your tagline, right? That's right. That's right. It's always after nine somewhere. So, Andrew, help us out a little bit. I think some of us have, have read your first book uh, about social media and about uh, just kind of like thinking through some of the processes of like more than just should I have an Instagram account, but what having an Instagram account means for your students. Uh, but like you, you have not only like participated in youth ministry and studied it at a scholarly level. Um, wh- why, 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 why youth ministry? There's so many other scholarly pursuits. Like, why would you want to uh, get into the to the mix of the fray of all the youth ministry whatnot? Yeah, so I, I mean, I came into academic youth ministry through uh, being called to youth ministry in the first place. Um, okay. As a high school student, uh, I felt called to ministry. Originally, wanted to be a scientist. Thought I'd end up as a chemist or an astronomer. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but God had other plans, and so I uh, went off to college and pursued um, a degree uh, in youth ministry, actually Christian education, for about three weeks. That's about yeah, how yeah. long I could uh, could last. I'm like, no, this. This degree is not for me, but uh, but youth ministry is. Well, youth ministry guys are always having more fun than the Christian ed people, right? I mean, you can just you can just feel it in the walls, right? You go to a Christian ed classroom and you're like, "All right, everybody, let's write up our curriculum for the year." And the youth ministry people are like popping balloons and throwing frisbees. No, yeah. it, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty obvious he's having a good time in, in undergrad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like um, Christian education is youth ministry with no fun. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's it's, it's stinging for some that are listening, but I, I, I think there's a connection there. All the youth ministry undergrad majors were like, yes, it's true. <laughs> well, and I can say it now because, uh, you know, God has a funny sense of humor. So um, I, I end up going into youth ministry regardless of, of the degree choice. I actually majored in philosophy. Um, Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> spent, uh, about eight years in full-time youth ministry decided that uh, lock-ins were getting a little difficult, and I wanted to yeah. remain in youth ministry for the long haul, but I figured I better go get a, a master's degree so I could figure out how to have interns to do the lock-in. There it right? is. Right? Um, Leading at a higher level. 
yeah, and that turned into uh, a PhD. And okay. um, and I, and here's the irony that I was I was pointing to my yeah. my uh, PhD is in practical theology with a focus on Christian education and formation, <laughs> and my and my title now as a professor is associate professor of practical theology and youth ministry, but I teach in the Christian education yeah. department. That's so, right. That's right. It came back. <laughs> but it's still true. Uh, Christian yeah. education is youth ministry with no fun. <laughs> well, youth, youth ministry just brings the fun to Christian ed, right? You like go. you know, there all you those go. all those like Christian ed adult ministry program designers, leaders, scholars. They they're just hoping the youth ministers brought the games to the party, and that's good. That's good times. <laughs> Well, Andrew, it's in serving in eight years in full-time ministry, volunteering, and now even in kind of the scholarly pursuits of raising up other youth pastors, what is your like quintessential or like most favorite youth ministry moment? Like what what is the one that you like every time you think back on it, you're like, mm, that was good. That was good. Mm. I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of youth ministry moments that are like, oh, that wasn't good. That wasn't good. <laughs> those, those kind of crazy stories. In fact, one of my yeah, one yeah. of my students a couple of years ago said you were the best, worst youth pastor ever. Um, because if it, <laughs> if it could That's happen, to hang on your wall. I know, if it could go wrong, it did go wrong for me in youth ministry okay. along the way, which okay. I think is a, sor- a, a rich source of teaching. Um, but, you know, as far as the, the, the really good moments, um, you know, I think back to um, one of my last years in Idaho where I was in full-time ministry for about eight years there, um, we you know we did these uh, whitewater rafting camps in the summer, and uh, we had you know students that came and and found Christ through those trips, and um, and one of those students came back uh, one year and got the baptizer in the river. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a high moment. Um, passing passing the ministry off that I built in that church uh, to uh, the next person coming in. We actually uh, hired that person before I left and uh, brought him in as the as the guest speaker on Whitewater Rafting Camp and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, circling around him and praying for the ministry, um, you know, uh, uh, on that camp. Um, those are some great moments. And, and then, uh, you know, the moments that, uh, you know, you have where you are with a student in the moment of crisis and you can't say that that's a good moment, but looking back, it's one of those moments where you really made a difference in that in that person's life. You could see the broader story um, of crisis, and so you know, having having two leaders in my youth ministry, you know, walk into my office at you know seven o'clock one night for a, an emergency meeting, you know, where they say to me, "Hey, um, um, we've been dating, and she's pregnant." Um, yeah, that's not a good moment in youth ministry, right? But it uh, it's one of those moments in which. We're called to lead, um, and we're called to, to navigate people through the rough waters of life, um, yeah. and you know, and, and knowing now on the back end of that story how those how those folks have turned out. You know, they've got yeah. got four kids and been married for you know well over a decade now, and um, you know, seeing the grace of a, of a congregation and, and grace yeah. of parents kind of come around them, uh, and being able to be involved in that. And it's such a long play, right? Like, I mean, I think the question is always misleading because a moment, right? Like, it's one of those kind of like uh, this thing that I hold on to is a kind of like totem or like, you know, snapshot. But there is this like beautiful thing of like from here and then the way the story continues, right? So it's one of those, uh, again, for our listeners, like the youth ministry stuff that seems to always be the biggest payoff or the most rewarding or like the most momentous uh, is is always the thing that took a little longer than we thought it was going to take. It's always the thing that you don't know 
know until you're on the other side of four, eight years of being at a place. I mean, if you're only there for a couple of weeks, uh, four, eight months, 18 months, like you may not, you may not get to see all that. And that only comes with that kind of long investment. That's good, man. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you alluded to some things not always being most favorite moments. Was there ever, Andrew, a night that you almost quit youth ministry? Like something happened and you were like, this is it. We're going back. We're hanging it up and we're leaving the keys in the office for the next person. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, uh, not just one night. I mean, in fact, my, my senior pastor called me in about five years into youth ministry uh, there in Twin Falls, Idaho, and and he sat me down and said, uh, "All right, you got to stop quitting every Monday." And I okay. said, "I said, okay. what do you mean? I, I haven't quit." And he's like, "No, no, no, no. You come into the office every Monday or on most Mondays, and you're either elated with how things went on Sunday." Or you're ready to quit and, and hang it up because it just mm-hmm. went so poorly over the weekend. You got to stop doing that. You got to stop making those those decisions about whether you're in ministry or not based on the results in the moment of mm-hmm. ministry itself. So, so you got to stop quitting every Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take it anymore. Um, which I thought was interesting because um, I, I mean I didn't realize the the way in which I internalized how I felt about the numbers the day before or my lesson or uh, the way the students responded or, you know, how the trip went over the weekend. That was very much tied to my immediate um, mood and my immediate ability to continue in ministry. And so it was like a roller coaster all the time. Uh, That was a really powerful uh, thing. But I I, I think the, um, I mean, there are lots of stories I have uh, of things going wrong in ministry. I have the time where the U-Haul trailer passed my van on the left. This is the mm. U-Haul trailer that I was towing. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it was no longer being towed. Uh, passed right. on the left, uh, it went airborne when it hit a curb. Uh, I have the time where I ran a U-Haul truck into the church. Um, I mean, I can tell you that story. I have the time... Um, <laughs> I have the time where I had a student jump from an inflatable climbing mountain... Um, that's actually a good story, actually. Um, we had done this big, like, district-wide event where lots of churches had come together, and uh, I had rented, rented these inflatables, and one of them was an inflatable climbing mountain that went all the way to the top of our gymnasium. In fact, when you were at the top of this thing, you could touch the ceiling, and so you had kids that were climbing this thing and touching the top, and they had a belay system, so you're tied in, and you had a friend belaying you. We did it just like the, the company told us to do it, Right, um, right. <laughs> they didn't give us any helmets, um, and and we didn't. Of course and, not. And so we didn't think that we needed them, right? Because right. this company should know what they're doing, and had this huge mat around the inflatable climbing mountain, probably three feet tall. That was all, you know, an air mat. So if you came crashing down on it, you're going to hit this thing. And, and uh, so I walked into the gym about the time that this kid at the top of the climbing mountain said, "Hey, Jimmy, watch me." And he jumped from the top of the climbing mountain, ripped the belay out of his friend's hand, because his friend hadn't tied it around him right, Right. comes crashing down on the mat, and it stops him, just like, just like we figured it would, except it bounces him in the air like a giant trampoline, and he comes down directly on his head on a concrete floor. I'm, I'm walking into the gym in the middle of this, you know, event, three, four hundred <laughs> kids all over our campus, and I yeah. see this kid fly through the air, 
land on his head, and he goes into a massive seizure. Mm. Massive seizure. So I rush over, and I'm trying to stabilize him so he doesn't, you know, bite his tongue off. Or I mean, he's right, right. he's flopping around. I've I've never at this point in my life seen a seizure other than like a television show, and it's I'm terrified. Mm. So I have a one of our nurses run up. We've got a nurse on site, and he comes out of the seizure after maybe a good minute, um, and he looks straight up, and his eyes are moving, and no other part of his body. And we mm. say to him, hey, man, are you okay? He's like, oh, 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 and he's just, he can't, he can't say anything. He's just making moans. He can't yeah. move any part of his body. And the nurse takes me aside and says, this is bad. This is really, really bad. So, and we've got people already on the phone to 911. I'm, I'm trying my pastor. I can't, I can't get a hold of him. Uh, the ambulance comes, takes this kid on a backboard to the hospital. And the whole way there, I'm thinking, this kid's a quadriplegic. He's paralyzed. Mm. Um, his life is over, and somebody at my event is, has basically, you know, been severely injured, or maybe he's going to mm. die. I don't know. And so um, I got people, you know, looking up his mom's number. You know, kind of thing. We've got a medical form on him, but he's a kid yeah. from another church that's two hours away. I get a call on my phone from his mom, and uh, she's hysterical, and I'm, I don't know even what to say. I, you know, I'm just like, I, I don't know the condition of him. He's, you know, he's in the, he's in the ambulance right now, and she's like, well, his uncle lives down in that area. I'm sending his uncle to the to the hospital. He'll be mm-hmm. there in a little bit, and I'm, I'm just terrified to, you know, have to say anything to this to this mom, much less confront, you know, be confronted by this kid's uncle. Yeah. So I get to the hospital, I rush into the ER, they, you know, they rush him in to, uh, to be observed and, and taken care of, and I'm waiting outside the, the, uh, the room door, and the doctor comes out and says, you know, they're doing a battery of tests, but, you know, things are, things are not looking great for him. And um, about that time, uh, somebody says, hey, his uncle uh, has, is arriving at the hospital, has, or has arrived, and, and you need to go out and meet him in the, uh, in the waiting room. And so I think I was one of the scariest moments of my life because I didn't know what I was going to encounter with this, with this uncle, right? I imagine somebody's going to, you know, be, beat me up, uh, scream at me. Right. I'm going to, or I'm going to have to tell, I'm going to have to tell this, this guy that, that his nephew is, you know, permanently, um, paralyzed. Hmm. So I got in the waiting room and I'm looking around. I, I don't really see anybody. I'm trying to like, trying to figure out who this uncle might be. And I turn around and one of my best youth ministry volunteers is there, Randy. And I'm like, oh, Randy, I'm so, so glad to see you because I'm looking, I'm looking for somebody right now. And um, this is one of those youth ministry volunteers that, like, is your rock. You know, the one who has your back all the time, the one who's get whispering stuff in your ear saying, hey, this is the way to do things. And Randy was a high school teacher. He was a football coach. He always knew what to do. And I'm like, Randy... I, I can't, what are you doing here? Like, I, I need you right now. And he's like, well, I got a call that my, my nephew's in the hospital. And I'm just like, shut up. And I'm like, and at this point I just, I just let out and I'm like, Randy, Randy, it's bad. Like, I, I'm so glad it's you. Cause I didn't know what I was going to encounter, but, mm-hmm. but, um, you need to know, like, I think he's paralyzed. And Randy just looks at me and is like, nah, I coach football. These things happen. It takes time for, for the head to reset sometimes. We'll see if he's okay. And I'm like, I'm like, no, no, Randy, you don't understand. Like, like, 
It's bad. really bad. It's so it's bad. Like, we'll, we'll see how it is. It'll be okay. We'll we'll get through it. We'll figure it out. Hmm. It was just this uh, incredible, non-anxious presence, uh, which he often was in my ministry. Uh, he was the one that always kind of just called us back from the edge of panic and just said, all right, you know, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's observe the situation and see what's up. And talking to him later about this situation, he just said to me, I, there was nothing we could do. It wasn't like uh, being in a panic is going to um, make him uh, not paralyzed anymore. So let's take it slow and let's let's ramp down the anxiety so that we can actually think straight. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what he did. And uh, we went back and uh, sat with him. And wouldn't you know, two hours later, that kid walked out of the hospital and on the way out, Randy looked at me and said, See, you just got to let the head reset sometimes. <laughs> um, and he was okay. Miraculously, he was okay. Um, and I learned two things there. One, um, you can never be too safe. Like you Just trusting the, trusting the experts who rent the inflatables uh, isn't enough. Uh, think through what you're doing. But secondly, there's a, there's a real power in a non-anxious presence. Yeah. Somebody who's able yeah. to ramp down the fear and anxiety in any situation and absorb that anxiety as opposed to reflecting it back. It's the mark of great leadership. And um, learned a lot from, from Randy that wow. day. Wow. Well, that's incredible, man. That's incredible. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, so one of our namesake questions, Andrew, is uh, for a lot of youth ministry folk, uh, whether it's a Sunday or a midweek service, there's something about that moment right after the lockup. So getting all the kids sent out, the parent picks the last one up, you're waving by to your leaders, you're locking the door, and you're either walking home, walking to your car, or getting out of there. The questions start flooding in. Uh, for a lot of us, it's the question of um, what happened tonight? Do I, did, did I do a good job? Should I still be doing this? Did the kids listen to me? Uh, for you, when you were serving in full-time ministry, when you, when you coach and in, in, in instruct uh, youth ministers today, what, what are some of the things that you try to talk about or you kind of work through in that kind of after-nine processing kind of moment right after a big youth ministry happening? Yeah, I think there's always two two moments that, that you go through. There's the, the moment of pride that comes out of the adrenaline often that, that you get from running youth ministry, right? Like yeah, you yeah, have yeah. this kind of adrenaline rush, like, man, we just we just killed it tonight. Like it it was awesome. Um, or you have the adrenaline rush like that was that was bad and I gotta fix it. So bad. <laughs> so bad I gotta fix it next time. <laughs> Uh, and it's that it's that response that I was often living out of, right? In that okay. roller coaster of uh, qu- wanting to quit every Monday. Um, yeah. It was either really good or really bad. Um, and and when I was able to to say, hey, you know what happened? What happened in the last hour <laughs> is not youth ministry. That's mm. really the place I came. That's not youth ministry. Youth mm. ministry is this kind of uh, well, as uh, Eugene Peterson says, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. Youth yeah. ministry is a long, a long um, obedience in the same direction of moving kids towards this place of being formed in the faith. What happened in the last hour is just one small, you know, drop in the bucket. Yeah. If, yeah. if you can, if you can let the um, temporalities of of what happens in, in that previous hour go, I think you get to a second question. At least I do, which is, um, what do I think I'm doing? <laughs> mm, okay. What do I, what do I really okay. think? What do I really think I'm doing when I say that I'm doing youth ministry or what do we really think that we're doing when we say that we're 
doing youth ministry. Mm. Like, you know, the snack and the games and the Bible lesson and the and the small group discussion and whatever else. Like, that is that really youth ministry? And mm. I think the place that I try to lead the students that I have to is the place of uh, of ceasing that question as well. Okay. Uh, moving beyond that to actually ask, what is the Holy Spirit doing that's youth ministry? What mm-hmm. is the actual act and work of the, of the Holy Spirit uh, of God in these moments that we call youth ministry? Mm-hmm. Because so often in youth ministry, we focus on our efforts and we re- reduce youth ministry to the totality of what we're doing. Right, right. Oh, hey, it was youth group. It was youth ministry because I did X, Y, and Z. Because I was there. Wherever because I was was youth ministry. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. There's a good, a good paraphrase of Jesus, right? Where, That's where right. two or three are gathered in, 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 uh, in the youth pastor's name, there, there's youth ministry among them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and we forget that our calling is to cooperate, collaborate, come up against and cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't have any idea what we think the Holy Spirit is doing in any given situation, if we don't have any idea uh, about what we believe the Holy Spirit might be doing to form kids, then um, we reduce everything to what we're doing. And Mm -hmm. I think the real call of youth ministry is to say, hey, this is how I believe that the Holy Spirit often works in the lives of young people to form them in faith. Therefore, I'm going to cooperate with that. Hmm. Um, for example, do I really believe that my 45-minute Bible lesson, whether I conclude active learning games or not, is going to transform the life of a, of a teenager? Hmm. I, I hope not. I hope I'd, I don't believe that. I hope that we don't believe that. But we often act like we do. Hmm. You go back to Augustine, you know, St. Augustine, and he talks about the fact that if, in, uh, in his, his book on, on Christian teaching, it's what it's called, on Christian teaching, or the Doctrina Christiana, uh, on Christian teaching. And he talks about the fact that when a preacher preaches, when, when somebody speaks, all we can do is tickle the bones in the ear. Yeah. We're, making, we're making sound noises that tickle someone's bones uh, in their ear. But it's the Holy Spirit that can take those, those movements of, of the bones of, of the ear and turn those into a transforming moment. We don't mm-hmm. do that. We don't transform, but the Holy Spirit does. Um, and so we better have a, a good idea uh, about how the Holy Spirit goes about that. And so um, I encourage my students to think through what their theology is about. What are the ways the Holy Spirit works? When and where does, does the Holy Spirit often show up? Because if, in fact, your, your, the- your theology is that the Holy Spirit often shows up in crazy jello games then we should be doing some more crazy jello games. Yeah. <laughs> but if in fact, if in fact your theology is the Holy Spirit shows up and transforms um, young people in, in moments of prayer and reflection and in moments of, of silence, moments of worship, uh, moments of, of individual scripture reading, moments of corporate Christian practice, all those are different ways that we believe the Holy Spirit actually shows up, then, then we need to be orchestrating youth ministry to move toward those kinds of moments in a, a more orderly fashion. And I think we place so much time and effort into uh, attending to aspects of youth ministry that don't actually move us toward the places where the Holy Spirit shows up and works. 
I mean, I, I'll tell you, when I was in youth ministry, I spent far more time mixing Jello in 55-gallon uh, trash cans, true story, than I did in thinking about how I was going to move kids into places and spaces where they could be transformed by the Holy Spirit. I think we've got to get beyond that. Well, I guess maybe that leads into our next question. Is, is that the thing that you would tell your first-year youth ministry self? Um, that maybe felt like, okay, we're going to have this amazing, crazy, messy, jello, whatever night. Like, what, what, is, what is the thing, as you kind of think back, reflect back to first year, Andrew, youth minister, like, what, what is the thing that, that he needs to hear the most? Yeah, I think, um, I think the phrase that, that I would tell him, tell myself at that age, is uh, you need to stop doing youth ministry for yourself. Mm. And start doing ministry out of a desire to see young people transformed by God. Hmm. I had a really... Can I tell another story? Absolutely. This happened for me. This advice I actually got uh, maybe two, three years into youth ministry. The problem is I wasn't in a place I could really take it at the time. Okay. Um, that's usually when the best advice happens. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, the best advice is the advice that, that we never listen to but should have. Um, that's right. That's right. I was at the National Youth Workers Convention, the Youth Specialties National Youth Workers Convention in San Diego, California, in 1998, 99, somewhere in there. And I was what waiting... A time to be alive and doing youth ministry. That's oh, I know. <laughs> and I was, waiting, I was waiting in line at the Cinnabon at the um, Fashion Valley Mall, yeah. and I was high on life. I was thinking, like, this is the best thing ever. I'm at this National Youth Workers Convention. I'm so cool. I'm a, I'm a youth pastor, and my church paid for me come stand in the sun in San Diego yeah. in late October, early November, when the rest of the, of the north is freezing, and uh, I'm getting a Cinnabon, and this guy was handing out samples, the Cinnabon guy, and uh, he was coming down the line, handing out samples, and uh, he's like, would you like a sample? And I'm like, I would like a sample, Rod, and I read his name off his name tag, you know, it was kind of giddy moments to get into, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and he's like, well, here you go, and I'm like... So, Rod, how long have you been working at Cinnabon? He's like, about, about 12 months. And Rod was probably in his mid-50s. And, um, and I said, well, well Rod, what did you do before you worked at Cinnabon? And he just stopped, just dead cold, and looked me in the face and said, I used to run a drug rehabilitation center where I would go across the Mexican border and I would find people's loved ones who had gone across the border to use drugs and had never come back because they became so addicted that they found themselves in this cycle of drug addiction that, uh, that had taken their entire lives. I would smuggle them back across the border, put them in a treatment facility that I ran, and we would get people clean. And suddenly I was just, I was just kind of undone because I had this idea that, you know... In the back of my head, I'm like, Rod's this 50-something guy who, uh, right, right. who who has never really done much with his life, and now he's working at Cinnabon. And, uh, and I was just dumbfounded. And I just said, uh, how? how? How did you end up here working at Cinnabon? He said, I work at Cinnabon now because I burned out. And I burned out because all of it was for me. Mm. I rescued all those people. I did all of that for me. Mm. I did it because I wanted affirmation, because I wanted to feel like my life mattered. And in the end, if you do things for yourself as opposed to the selfless giving of others, you're going to burn out. He looks at my name tag and he picks it up and says, Andrew, 
I see you're at this National Youth Workers Convention. That's an honorable profession. Don't do it for yourself. And then he walked away and gave more samples out. Uh, <laughs> most powerful, most powerful moment I've ever had at a National Youth Workers Convention. And it was right outside. At and the it was Cinnabon right outside the Cinnabon. Cinnabon. It was Rod the Cinnabon guy. Take take that keynote speakers. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. And so I think there's so much youth ministry that we do because we need affirmation because mm-hmm. we want to feel important. Some of us even do it because we weren't cool enough in high school and we want high school kids to yeah. to like us. Um, we do it because uh, we want someone to to value us. Uh, there's so many motivations for what we do in youth ministry that come back to a personal need, and I think. The quicker we get over those and the faster that we take to the question of what is the Holy Spirit wanting to do and how can I help, hmm. um, it releases us, that releases us from a lot of a lot of problem and a lot hmm. of, uh, of hurt in ministry. Man, Andrew, thank you for sharing uh, those stories and that, that insight. I think for, for a lot of our listeners, the, the stuff surrounding the motivation behind youth ministry uh, it is is a weekly occurrence, like you shared at, at the top. Like there is that kind of Monday or Thursday morning momentum of should I still be doing this this week? I mean, you know, it's like it's like we have to recommit to the vocation of the calling every single week. And I wonder if underneath it's not because uh, there there's a motive that we're serving that we're trying to justify or rationalize as noble or holy around us being more liked or more popular. Uh, with a group of people that we really are just praying to see them formed in a faith in, in the right kinds of ways. So um, thank you for sharing that. Well, before we get too far into stuff, we, we did want you to touch on a little bit. So the way I found you uh, is I like to buy books about youth ministry. And about a year and a half ago, everybody was talking about this book uh, called Beyond the Screen about the importance of what social media means for today's young people. And I think it was one of the first times I actually read a handbook or a book on um, some of the things that had been maybe in some kind of secular settings of like the way in which today's youth are being affected by social media and really appreciated your kind of insight and lensing on that. Uh, maybe for our folks that are not familiar with that work, would you give a quick word of like um, how that's still kind of resonating with folks today or a year and a half later after kind of like putting the book out? Like what, what are some things that are, that are still definitely true? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> about yeah. A, about a Twitter and Instagram satiated world. Uh, what are some things, maybe, if, if they are readers of the book, that you'd want to want to update or add to, or maybe double down on? <laughs> sure. You know, uh, writing a book on social media is a uh, is a fool's game these days, right? <laughs> right, right, um, right. And I knew that going in, um, and so I tried to craft a book that was dramatically different than your usual um, uh, guide to social media. Um, and so I did that by not writing a guide to social media. Uh, it comes out of my dissertation, and I started working on the research that Beyond the Screen encompasses back in 2007. And so uh, MySpace was still huge when I right, um, right. started that research, and I, and I watched m- many of folks try to tie what they were saying about social media to technology. To yeah. individual technologies, and so I tried to, to avoid the specific, that. The specific outlets, right, right, right. Like, yeah, yeah. And this is MySpace or GodSpace, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, those kind of things. Um, and so the tact I took was to look at, instead of what are teenagers doing with social media, I tried to look at why are they so drawn to social media, whether it's MySpace, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, sure. whatever the next thing is down the road, fill in the blank. 
uh, with whatever your teenagers are using now. And, and what I came to through the research was that actually, uh, regardless of the platform, uh, the the longing for a depth of relationality and belonging um, mm. that is actually difficult to find in face to face culture was what was driving uh, young people's uh, need, desire, and, and attraction to social media. It's not that they're actually addicted to the device or addicted to the app. They're addicted to the relationships on the other end. Mm. And uh, that still holds true. Absolutely it does. Um, and so what I started realizing in youth ministry, I think w- one of the big, the big pieces in the book, was we often want to be relevant in youth ministry, by just adopting whatever the latest platform and, or technology right, is that right. teenagers are using, well, uh, they don't care about the technology. They, they instead care about what the technology promises. Okay. They want those relationships that the technology promises. And so while we're trying to you know, say, heck, yeah, how can we use Twitter? How can we use Instagram? How can we use Snapchat? How can we yeah, use whatever's yeah. next? We're actually, in our search for trying to be relevant to them, actually being more irrelevant than we ever, ever could have hoped for, <laughs> Because we're not addressing the deeper relational longings. And so right. uh, that's really what the book is about, about exploring what, what the call to Christian communion is about, or Christian koinonia, and how uh, we might do that in, in a digital age. Well, I think that's a really fascinating way to kind of to, to talk about the ways those things are held in tension, right? Because I think that the quest for relevance uh, is usually us chasing whatever the trend is. Right? That that's always whatever re- whatever is relevant is whatever is trending. But what you offer is what's actually most relevant is the relationality that the thing we're chasing promises. And I, and I love that idea that instead of trying to follow suit and do the thing or the tool that's you know tech savvy to use the tool for the thing. We look into well, what is the tool making easier or accessible in the lives of students for what they need, and that's when we begin to address the need and not the tool. And that's again immensely helpful for a youth minister who's not 22 and is not. <laughs> if you're not, yeah. a, if you're a youth pastor, this, this takes this takes the uh, the. Um, the, the resume builder of being a digital native off the table because it's it's not about being down with whatever is the latest thing, but being connected to students that are questing after that. And I think it's awesome, man. That's great. No, that's a great that's a great summary. And you know, and what's interesting about the book too is that you know the title is Beyond the Screen. Yeah. Uh, youth ministry for the connected but alone generation. There's there's really nothing in there that says anything about social media. That's right. That's and, right. And the title itself is beyond the screen, saying, hey, right, uh, if right. we just focus on what's happening on the screen, yeah. then we're actually missing the point. Um, and I say in the very first pages of the book, this is not actually a book about social media. It's a book about, right. about communion, what it is, how the church can recapture this form of relationality that teenagers long for but that we haven't been attending to. And yet in the end, uh, everyone knows, like, oh, yeah, you wrote the book on social media. <laughs> Uh, hey, man, they're, just, they're just trying to give you that Twitter review, right? And, and 140 yeah, right. characters yeah, or less describe what Andrew did in the book that tells you that life is more than 140 characters or less. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> that, you know, that's just uh, – it's the way it plays. It's the way it plays. But I will say it's been super helpful and in a lot of conversations we've had with some of our folks. And after now, Youth Ministry Booster, like these these are the kind – like we, we want to know the deeper – like things right like we we want we want to move beyond the conveniences of the technology and into the convictions of like what is what are students really about what are they really after awesome 
But that's not where you stop because we were talking earlier and you've got something new cooked up for us. And uh, fresh on the Amazon pre-order list, you're not going to just help us connect with students. But in a realm and an area that I think is – I mean a lot of folks are talking about how to up their game, improve what they do to refine a tool. you got a book on teaching? Tell us more, sir. Tell us yeah. more. So uh, Teaching Outside the Box is, uh, is the next release. Um, it's coming out in mid-October. And a couple things that happened in Teaching Outside the Box I think that are interesting. One is that um, this, is the, this is the Christian education textbook that I never wanted to write, right? Um, you go back to the beginning of the, of the interview. We were talking about, oh, I was the Christian education major for three weeks, um, and now I teach Christian education. Um, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how to make it fun and, and interesting. So what I've done in this book is taken a class on Christian education and turned it into a narrative, uh, a okay. journey between um, a young youth worker named Jeremy um, and an old wizened uh, seminary professor who uh, has retired named Seymour. And uh, Yeah. Um, and it's their journey together through Jeremy realizing that maybe uh, – Maybe uh, his thoughts about what makes youth ministry uh, useful and relevant and formative uh, aren't are nearly as well formed as he thought. Okay. Uh, and so it's a, it's a it's a good read, I think, from the standpoint that it's a narrative throughout. Um, you know, if you've ever read Andy Root's uh, "Taking Theology to Youth Ministry" series, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it takes some cues from that. Only the entire thing is narrative. Okay. And so there aren't these kind of uh, sections where I suddenly pipe in as the uh, as the author per se um, as, as the as the omniscient academic textbook voice yeah yeah so try to uh, try to alleviate that but what the what the book ultimately does is uh, try to move people beyond teaching out of the instructional approach okay. um, which I would say that 99% of youth ministry teaching happens out of that approach. Yeah. Whether we have um, crazy games or whether we do video-based curriculum or whether we do active learning things, in the end, we are, are, all our lessons are pretty well reduced to, I want kids to know this part of the scripture, and I right. want them to apply it to their lives in this way. Yeah. Uh, so understand this and apply that. Understand this and apply that. And that's, that's the instructional approach. And we dress that up again in a variety of ways that make us think that we're doing something different. Right. But if you can boil it down to slides, there were slides, there were visual elements. Obviously, it was more than instructional. <laughs> yeah, but if you can reduce what you're doing down to understand this part of the scripture and apply it to your life in this way, that's instructional. So what I do in yeah. the book is I actually introduce four additional okay. ways to teach that are dramatically different, uh, that have different goals and different outcomes uh, for interacting with scripture. Uh, so the the liberation approach, which looks at saying, hey, Scripture's calling us to look carefully at our actions in the world and revise them, revise what we're doing in order to, to, seek, to seek justice. Or the contemplative approach, which is not about understanding and applying Scripture, but actually sitting with Scripture and discerning the voice of God in, mm -hmm. in those moments together. You don't, you don't accomplish the contemplative approach when you send kids out the door with an application point. Right. You, you do the contemplative approach when you've adequately brought them into a place that they can discern the voice of God and, and listen to, uh, to God's voice. Uh, we look at the community of faith approach uh, as well and, um, and several other approaches throughout, as well as a theological reflection model that um, we've used at a, 
um, theology camp that I do in the summers. So there's there, there's it's stuff that I don't think is well I know is nowhere else in youth ministry. It's also though a, a interesting revision of a, a classic Christian education uh, handbook that came out in the 1970s, and I've gone back to this basically and said, hey, there's actually okay. some stuff here that is yeah, really yeah. Still relevant for youth ministry, but uh, that we have left behind, and so let's revive some of this. Um, I've been teaching this uh, as a course at Memphis Theological Seminary for about the past six years, and so it was time to turn it into a book, and uh, it's coming <laughs> out in October. Battle-tested, battle laboratory-tested, and professor-approved for new ways, uh, dynamics to, to rethink your teaching models. I love it, man. So that book comes out October for our folks, listeners at home, to pick up a copy of if they want to check it out? Yeah, it comes out mid-October. It's available for pre-order now on Amazon. Excellent. Wow. Andrew, thank you so much, sir. Uh, we'll make sure to include in the show notes all of those things. Uh, they pick up your... your your non-social media, social media book beyond the screen, and then your new book on teaching uh, and the links below for our show notes today. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing a little bit of your story and what you've got in the works. Uh, anything, so obviously just finished up a big book, probably like a breath of, of air and kind of uh, relief from that. A- anything beyond the beyond that we should know? Oh, yeah, we've got friend? all kinds of good stuff coming up. Uh, starting into a huge innovation and youth ministry project um, in uh, later this year we've uh, applied for several several grants and it looks like some of those uh, uh, opportunities may come through for us and okay. uh, we're going to lead people into rethinking what youth ministry looks like beyond the youth group model so uh, yeah it's good stuff oh good well if our folks today really liked what you had to say and want to connect a little bit more what are the best ways for them to follow up with you uh, after today's episode uh, they can find me on twitter at ymprof uh, and also uh, follow up on the cymt.org website cymt.org and I've got uh, blog material and other updates there well Andrew thank you so much sir and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon alright catch you later Zach alright there you go that's our interview with Professor Andrew Zerchke or YM Prof on Twitter if you want to learn more about Andrew's previous or pre-orderable books check out the show notes at after9.show slash 96 and if you want some free copies of Andrew's books make sure to go to after9.show slash contest he's one of our featured authors in our summer book bag giveaway that you want to check out after nine listeners we love you you're a community and we want you to have the good reads this fall so check it out and we'll see you back next week with a special guest thanks for listening to after nine to continue the conversation find us on twitter or facebook at after nine ministry or visit www.after9ministry.com to subscribe and learn more
And I've never, and I've never rented another inflatable climbing mountain. 